0: So over the last few months, I've been working on my physical health, uh, and I've picked up a new hobby of weight training. In fact, I've made the little mudroom off the side of our house kind of like my own tiny gym, and it's really cool. I really enjoy it. Uh, But this past week, I said, "You know what? I'm I'm lifting, but I really need to focus on my diet and my nutrition uh, this week uh, and in the coming weeks." And uh, so, literally, the day that I said this to myself that I need to focus on my diet, I went to see some friends. And they said, hey, uh, by the way, we have a bunch of extra donuts. Would you like some? And I, just, I was like, no, I can't do that. I'm, I'm trying to crack down on my diet. I'm trying to be good. I can't have any. You know, doesn't it seem like that's always the, always the case? That every time you're trying to make progress in an area, you get offered some type of obstacle like that. You know, you're trying to, you're trying to make progress physically, but your, your coworkers uh, happen to order pizza that night at work. Or you're making pro- you want to make progress in your relationships, but you find yourself getting busy and things come up. Or you want to make progress financially, or an unexpected bill comes your way. Or you want to make progress spiritually, and you find yourself unmotivated and lethargic. You know, one of our, our, all of our most important tasks, our goals, our vocations in this life, they are fraught with difficulties. And on top of that, we have a real enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion, Seeking to destroy lives, discourage us, oppose us, and distract us. And so, progress in life is not going to be easy. John Maxwell says, Everything worthwhile in life is uphill. Sadly, many people have uphill hopes, but downhill habits. And isn't that true? We encounter so many obstacles, so many uphill battles in life. And we've been in this series from Ruins to Restoration and we're going to look at uh, three chapters in Nehemiah where God's people face numerous obstacles in completing this project of rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. And yes, spoiler alert, we know they're, they're going to complete the wall, but they face so many uphill battles. It is a process. And so today we're going to look at seven obstacles that the people faced Uh, and see what we can learn from them and how we can overcome some of the obstacles that we face in our lives and in our church. So if you're following along in your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4 and we'll begin there. But before we do, I want to uh, set some context. There are some leaders from neighboring nations uh, who do not want the nation of Judah to succeed. You see, since they've been gone in exile, these nations have had control over the land, over maybe the trade routes, that help them financially. And so now that Nehemiah is here and they're reestablishing the people, they don't like it. And so we're going to meet a lot of enemies uh, in, in these three chapters. We're going to meet Sanbalat, who is the governor of Samaria to the north. We're going to meet Tobiah the Ammonite, who was over uh, the Ammonites in the east. We're going to have Geshem, who led the Arabs in the south. And then you're going to even hear from the people of Ashdod. That's the Philistines, the old archenemy of the people of God, they're back. So literally, Judah is surrounded by enemies on every side, in the north, in the east, in the south, in the west. And doesn't it seem like we have the same type of opposition? seems like there are so many things opposed to us living a healthy and good, flourishing life in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at some of these obstacles and some of the tactics that these the, the enemies of, of the, Judah used against them and how we might learn from these obstacles in overcoming the things we face in our spiritual lives. So the first obstacle the people encounter is mockery. They encounter mockery. And chapter 4 begins like this. When Sanbalat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said... What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish it in a day? Can they bring these stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down their wall of stones. See, they were mocking them. They were making fun of them. It was this biting sarcasm. You know, these are tools not unknown to us in our day. And we may hear these hurtful words, this mockery, this ridicule from other people. Or maybe you might hear it from our enemy who ridicules you, who mocks you when you try to make progress towards Jesus, when you try to take steps towards Jesus. You might feel words of shame or ridicule in your heart and mind. So what do we do and what did Nehemiah do when he faced this ridicule, this mockery? Well, he turns to the weapon of prayer. And in verse 4, it says, uh, Nehemiah cries out, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. And so Nehemiah, he cries out to God, look what's going on. And then if you're look, following along in the passage, you'll see that Nehemiah prays some very harsh words here. He's basically asking God to uh, t- execute justice upon these enemies and to bring judgment upon them. And, you know, I think we now know that through the teachings of Jesus our Our hearts towards our enemies are different. We're supposed to love and to pray for our enemies and those who persecute us. We're called to an unlimited amount of forgiveness. But nevertheless, I think if we don't do anything uh, about our feelings of anger, if we don't do anything about our longing for justice and rightness in the world, it can come out in all kinds of ugly ways. And I think we're even seeing that in our world today. So I think it actually can be really helpful in a good spiritual practice for us to say, God, look what's going on. Look at the mess we are in. Look at the injustice of our world. And these people, they aren't just mocking us. They're mocking you. God, take care of this. God, do something about this. And then we can pray, but God, help me to love them and help me to overcome evil with good. But for us, we learn not to battle ridicule from others, with more ridicule, but we learn to turn to the Lord in prayer, and we let God deal with it. And we can do the same thing even when Satan mocks us, right? When, when the enemy mocks us with our, about our weaknesses or about our failures or about we've, we've tried before but it's not going to work now, and the enemy, he will compare our weaknesses with the size of the task in front of us, and we can, we can certainly pray at that moment, God, look what the enemy's doing. Help me overcome. Deliver me from his schemes. Deliver me from evil. Oppose what the enemy is trying to do in my life. Help us overcome. So they encounter mockery. That's, that's the first thing. The second obstacle they encounter is opposition. And I'm talking about real opposition, of threats of violence and even warfare. And so they face the ridicule, but then there's this real threat coming at them. And in verse 7, the story continues, When Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of ashdov that's the Philistines, when they heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead, and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat you know, this is how it often works, right? I mean, the the Jews, they're finally making progress on the wall. is starting to get built up, and more opposition, more obstacles are headed their way. And I like what Warren Wiersbe says about this passage in his commentary. He says, as long as the people in Jerusalem were content with their sad lot, the enemy left them alone. But when the Jews began to serve the Lord and to bring glory to God's name, the enemy became active. You see, and that's how it's true in our spiritual lives. And many, many saints who have gone before will testify to this fact that when you start living for God's glory, when you make that your why, when you wake up in the morning and you're saying, I'm going to live for God's glory today, I'm going to make a dent in the kingdom of darkness today, you better watch out because Satan is going to want to oppose that. He's going to want to oppose the good things that you intend and plan to do. So a but uh, our people in the story, they're facing a real plot of warfare, physical warfare that's in the works. So what do they do about it? On well, verse 9, it says, we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night. You know, I think Nehemiah is the absolute prime example in Scripture of praying and working and keeping these in balance and harmony. It's that old saying, pray as if it all depends on God, and work as if it all depends upon you. That's the balance we strive for in the Christian life. Prayer and action. They pray, but they post a guard to watch. And I think we often struggle being unbalanced in these scales. You know, we might be praying for victories over our sin, but we're still flirting with temptation. We might be praying for financial provision, but still wasting our money. We might be praying for our marriage or our families, but still neglecting our responsibilities to care for them. We may be praying for a greater spiritual life and walk with God, but still we are undisciplined in the things that matter most. You see, and the converse of that may be true. You may be working hard in all of these areas, but you're not feeling like you're making much progress because there's a lack of prayer, because there's a prayerlessness. And so I invite all of us, including myself, to remember prayer. Paul's words in Ephesians 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. It continues later, he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. See, put on the armor of God, do something, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. You see this is exactly what Nehemiah does. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to be on guard. We're going to pray and I'm going to work. I'm going to pray and I'm going to walk uphill. I'm going to pray and I'm going to make better choices. I'm going to pray, I'm going to walk with Jesus more closely. We can balance these two together when we face opposition in our spiritual life. That's the second obstacle. Number 3, the third obstacle the people face is discouragement. You can see this in chapter 4 verse 10. which which says this, Meanwhile, the people in Judah, so God's people, they're saying, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. See, the people at this point, they're halfway done with the wall. They're halfway done with the project, but they are feeling weak. And they're looking at all of the rubble that's around them. And they're saying, there's no way that we can do this. It just seems too difficult to keep going. Now, I'm not going to say a whole lot on this point, because on August 16th, I preached a whole sermon about overcoming discouragement that the people were facing in the days of Ezra. And if you haven't listened to that, or if you feel so led to re-listen to it, go to our website, faithecc.org. You can listen or watch uh, on our website there. Uh, But I think it shows the fact that it's coming up again. This shows that discouragement uh, is not something that's easily defeated. It's a persistent obstacle. It's a persistent tool of the enemy to keep us off the calling that God has for us. And it's, al- it's almost always some combination of forgetting how big God is and looking at how big the task is before us and thinking about how weak we, we feel. Raymond Brown, in his commentary, says, We are not able is the rallying cry of all who take their eyes off the Lord and start looking at themselves and their problems. It has been said in the history of the church that pessimism has always been a greater problem than atheism. I think that's true. And I think it reminds me of Peter in the New Testament where he tries to walk on the water, but he takes his eyes off Jesus and he looks at how big the waves are. And this is what happens we get discouraged. Look at how big this problem is. But I, oh, but look how great my Savior is. We forget that. And we're called to have such bold faith in Jesus Christ and remember that in our weakness, he is strong. And it reminds me of what I said last week about combining radical honesty with radical hope. Of course, we don't ignore or minimize how big or some of the obstacles that we face are. But we always have radical hope because of the one we serve god has more power than we could possibly fathom friends i mean he look at everything he created he created this universe he created the earth and all that is in it he raised jesus from the dead is there anything that's too hard for god no god is able god is more god is bigger we can do all things through christ who strengthens us greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world amen don't be discouraged god is with us we are more than conquerors through jesus christ our lord amen that's the third obstacle the fourth obstacle that the people faced was that of selfishness you see this in chapter 5 verses 1 through 12 and i'm going to kind of summarize what's going on here uh and I want to start by saying, as if dealing with this all this outside opposition wasn't enough, now the people are having some issues internally within the community. And what's happening is, some of the poor members of the community, they're in a financial crisis, a crisis. There has been a famine in the land. The taxes to the Persia are very expensive. And so they are borrow- borrowing money. And mortgaging their property, their fields and their houses, to their rich neighbors, their their fellow Jews. And in order to pay off their debt to their fellow Jews, they're selling some of their children even as slaves to some of the Gentile nations around them so that they can pay off their debt to their Jewish brothers and sisters. And this is absolutely wrong. Because first off, it's against God's law. It's against the Torah. They were not allowed to charge interest to a fellow Jew. Uh, But it's also selfish and cruel in light of the crisis that's going on. And so Nehemiah, he is frankly ticked off. He He is upset, super upset, because these people, they are God's people, and they're supposed to be working together on this amazing project of rebuilding the wall, but now their selfishness and their greed is going to divide and bring division into the community. And so with Nehemiah, in chapter 5, and beginning in verse 9, he says to the people, "'What you are doing is not right. "'Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God "'and to avoid the approach of our Gentile enemies?' I and my brothers and men were also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves and their houses and also the interest you are charging them. 1% of the money, the grain, the new wine and the olive oil. Verse 12, we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. You see, selfishness and greed almost destroyed this community. It reminds me of Zacchaeus in the New Testament where after he encounters Jesus, he's been, Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector and he was over collecting. And after he encounters Jesus, he agrees to pay back what he's taken and even more on top of it in order to make restitution. And when we encounter Jesus ourselves, we are led to live lives like the one who laid his whole life down as a ransom for many. This is how it's supposed to be in the church. The Apostle Paul said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Having the same mindset as Christ Jesus. See, selfishness, looking out for yourself, it's a huge obstacle to the body of Christ and the work of God. When we insist on our own way, our own rights, our own opinions, it causes division within Christ's body. You know, for our church around here, our church leadership council was, was talking about this this past week and we feel that the Holy Spirit is calling our church to a season of radical unity in this body, in this church family. And right now we need to, to, to not insist on our own way and our own desires. And what I see all around us, and I don't think we're immune to this in our body, some of us are insisting on our own way about various things. You know, some of us are are insisting, well, you know, if a mask is going to be required, then I'm out. You know, if it's not going to be the, the guidelines I want, then I'm out. And that's not right. In humility, value others above yourself. Consider the interests of others, how they might be scared, how they might have health concerns, how they might have other things going on. You see, you know, this is a complex issue. Coming up with this stuff is extremely tough. But if we are not careful, we are we are going to let a, a five-inch piece of cloth divide the body of Jesus Christ. We're going to let this divide us? Are we serious? And re- I recognize that there is complexity, and I recognize that many of you have uh, physical issues, many of you are not comfortable returning. I fully support that. Don't hear me on that. I fully support those of you who cannot return or don't feel comfortable returning. But we need got to be careful that we, we don't insist on our own way and that we consider, and I, I don't even know what guidelines we're going to come up with when, we're, when we come back to regular services inside, but gosh, let's not insist on our own desires. Let's consider the interests and the health of others. Let's lay down ourselves for the sake of our brothers and sisters. Let's stay together. And you may not agree with everything that happens, but let's say, you know what, I want to put the disagreement aside because I am wanting to stay connected to you. I am wanting to be united in this body. So let's be radically unified in this process. Let's be radically unified through this season because there's so many things that could divide us right now. So that's one of the obstacles that people face. It's an obstacle that we face. And I hope you hear my heart that I want us to stay unified through this and that I love you all dearly. And let's go to number five. The fifth obstacle to restoration is distraction. Distraction. Continues in chapter six. It says, When Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies Heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it, though at that time I had not installed the doors in the city gates, Sanbalat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. They were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing important work and I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same proposal. And I gave them the same reply. You see, these enemies don't give up. They are persistent. And our enemy does not give up easily either. We have to resist him and then he will flee. And Nehemiah's enemies, they're trying to trick him uh, so so that they can harm him. So it's, it's a little bit, it's more than a distraction here. But certainly it's something that would distract him ultimately from the work. Because it would cause him to leave the wall. And I love Nehemiah's response. In verse 3, he says, I am doing important work and I cannot come down. See, it's been said that if the enemy can't defeat us, he will distract us. And I think every time it's actually a trick that's intended to bring us harm. So we have to recognize when we are being distracted from our vocations and our callings. And this may come in various forms. It may be offers from other people. It may be internet or TV consumption. It may be uh, things that take you from the important work of prayer. It may be other things that are good that distract you from your primary calling. So we have to be really discerning in the Holy Spirit here. And, but personally, I want to adopt Nehemiah's response. Whenever I feel distracted, I want to say, I am doing important work and I cannot come down. I'm doing important work so I, I can't check social media right now. I am doing important work. I can't lose my focus right now. I am doing the important work of prayer. I cannot come down. And then we overcome the obstacle of distraction. Number six, this is the obstacle of intimidation. We see this in chapter six, verses five through nine. The enemies, they are trying to slanderously promote a rumor that the Jews are planning to rebel against Persia and make Nehemiah king. Now, this rumor is not true at all. It is just slander. Uh, and, and basically what they're trying to do is, the enemies, they're trying to make the people afraid of what King Artaxerxes, uh, Artaxerxes of Persia might do. And so they're trying to spread these false lies in order to get them to stop working on the wall. And this reminds me of Jesus, Jesus and his disciples, because the Jewish leaders, they wanted to get them in trouble with Caesar. Hey, this is a man who's also claiming to be king. And many brothers and sisters of the Christian faith throughout the world, they have faced real threats from those in authority. They have been forced underground. They have been put in prison and beaten and tortured. The early church faced this type of intimidation as well. In the book of Acts, in the the very beginning, they're, they're seized by the Jewish leaders. They're put into prison and they are threatened And right after they are released in Acts chapter 4, they pray, and their prayer is amazing. They say, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. What? They had just been threatened, put in prison, and intimidated by the authorities. And their prayer is now, God, give us more boldness, make us more bold in the face of this intimidation. What? But that was their heart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Nehemiah does the same thing here. He faces this intimidation. And in verse 10, he says, But now, God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands to face this boldness. I'm going to come out like a lion. These people are threatening me, but I'm going to be bold through you strengthening me. I'm going to keep going in spite of it. So that's number six. Finally, we get to number seven. Our last obstacle is the obstacle of temptation temptation. So what happens here in verses 10 through 14, Nehemiah, he is meeting with this so-called prophet, says, he went, says I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Mahatabol, who was restricted to his house. And he said, let's meet at the house of God inside the temple. Let's shut the temple doors because they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you tonight. But I said, should a man like me run away? How can someone like me enter the temple and live? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him because of the prophecy he spoke against me. See, Nehemiah realized that this was a setup. This was a false prophet because Nehemiah was a layman. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a Levite. And so it was not lawful for him to enter the temple. In fact, this is something that you could be put to death for. So this is absolutely a trap. And Shemaiah, this prophet, is trying to offer Nehemiah protection, something that he says will protect himself, when actually it's going to bring Nehemiah harm and discredit him and lead him to disobey the word of God. And this is how exa- exactly how our enemy works too in the spiritual life. Our enemy makes sin look good. He makes sin look like like it's going to be so beneficial to you. It's going to protect you. He's going to make uh, uh, sin look like self-care. He's going to make sin look like it's good for you. But in reality, it is deadly. And Nehemiah, he could see right through the lie. And that it wasn't intended to help him, it was intended to harm him. So friends, you might have thought that this series from ruins to restoration, that this process was going to be easy. But it was anything but. It was all uphill. Look at all the obstacles they faced. They faced ridicule, but they prayed. They faced opposition, but they prayed and they kept working. They faced discouragement but they remembered God's power. They were they were they faced selfishness but they repented and stayed unified. They faced distraction but they stayed focused. They faced intimidation but they faced it boldly. There was temptation but they resisted. And after all of this, after all of this, we finally get to the moment we've been waiting for. Nehemiah chapter 6 verses 15 through 16. The wall was completed in 52 days. And it says, When all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and they lost their confidence, for they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. It all had been done by the power and strength of God. And that's the final reality for us, right? Overcoming obstacles in life is only accomplished through the power and strength of God. So through God's strength, we can overcome all the obstacles that we face. Everything worthwhile in life, friends, is uphill. It will be filled with obstacles. And the question I want to ask you this morning, what's an obstacle that you are facing right now? That if it was removed, if it was overcome, you would see significant progress in your life and in your walk with Jesus. What's that one obstacle you're facing? And my encouragement is let us seek the Lord who is powerful because he can help us overcome the obstacles in our lives and in our church because we know that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Amen?